And just like that, they grow up. You guys. <laughs> it is amazing, isn't it? You, you watch, there's a pigtail. Pig, I, mean, I had two girls, so there's this uh, pigtail stage, ponytail stage. And at about 11, did you notice the flower in the hair stage? Every other picture had a different flower. In her, and every girl at school probably had a flower in their hair as well. But they go through all those stages, people, as we watch our kids grow so quickly from just being born to being adults. Let's pray together. Father, our desire is to see you raise adults fully functioning and responsible, able and productive, loving and mature, godly followers of Jesus. It's our desire to do that as families, whether they're single parents or their parents or their grandparents raising these kids, whatever it may look like. And also as a church family, we desire not just to raise these children that way, but to ourselves become fully mature in you. So God, I pray, take these moments and these words, and, and I pray, um, encourage our hearts to become more like you, more mature in Christ's name. Amen. I had a, um, I had a lot of aspirations as a kid. I loved animals, so I'd come to my parents and I asked them at times, like one time I wanted a horse and we lived in the suburbs and my dad wasn't real thrilled about paying for some kind of stall to have it, you know, boarded, so he got me a St. Bernard. Uh, my dad's real smart this way. Um, I, I really, at one point in my childhood, really liked hawks. You know, I thought, wow, cool, you know, have this thing land and begin to have it, you know. And so he got me two ducks. Um, I, 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 this is true. I wanted a monkey, and um, you're waiting for the punchline. Uh, he just said no. Uh, so, uh, but I had these two ducks, Ned and Ted, and. Uh, and my dad told me, it was the summer of my uh, fourth grade going into fifth grade, my dad told me, you, you know what, at the end of the summer, you know, sometime we're gonna, you're going to have to give them, you're going to have to let them go. And you're going to have to kind of release them. And so it, they, were, they loved me. You talk about imprinting, you know, they, I would be with them everywhere I'd go. These little things would waddle around with me everywhere. In fact, I remember as it got into the fall, and my dad said, you know, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to let these things go. I one time went to um, school, and I was about a block or so away walking with my buddy, and then I'll see here this little, wah, 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 wah. they had actually, I had thought I had left them. They had actually followed me, so I had to bring them all back, got late to class. So then eventually my dad said, it's time, we got to let them go. We got to release them. So I went ahead, and we went, he took me to a, a, someone who had a farm, who agreed to take these two ducks, and um, uh, their wings were clipped, so I couldn't let them go and release them, like fly into the wilderness. So, so we went to that farm. I climbed over this fence, and, 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 and I tried a couple times to let them go. They, went, they would keep following me. So they said, let's go way down this hill. So I went way down this very steep hill where there was a pond and there were other ducks. I thought, well, this would be great. You know, just kind of move in and be their buddies. So I, I put them down there, and I, and I took off, and I ran up the hill. I was halfway up the hill, and they were wah, 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 right next to me. And I was exhausted, and they looked at me like, let's do that again. And so, so I basically just had to climb over the fence and leave them there, and I released them. What I want you to do in this message is keep this simple truth in mind. The purpose of raising children is to release them.
The goal is to raise adults who are fully functioning and responsible, able and productive, loving and mature, and for us as a church, a faith community who believes in God's word in a relationship with Jesus, it is to raise godly followers of Jesus Christ. Because the purpose of raising children is to release them into mature, spiritually mature adults. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 makes this statement. Attention Israel. So he's talking to the people of Israel. They were called the children of Israel. And Moses and a few of the leaders were adult leaders in that community. And he says, attention Israel. God, our God, God the one and only. He says, love God, your God, with all your whole heart. Love him in all that's in you. Love him with all that you've got. That's the message. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in verses 6 through 9, write these commandments that I've given to you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your home and on your city gates. It's this idea that this life that you have with God, which is being raised in maturity as a person, is the very same life that you're kind of passing on to your kids. And if that's not true about you, it won't be true about them. And so in a sense, when I talk about the purpose of raising children is to release them, I would love, in a sense, to say, go ahead and put this on a mirror to remind yourself. You might just want to put, the purpose of raising children is to release them. Now, I, you don't have to go, well, I don't have kids. You may be a grandparent, and so one of the things you may remember as well is you have the ability to be a part of the skill development and the value development of a grandchild. That's a very, very important thing. I can't tell you how often I talk to grandparents, and they will tell me how incredibly wonderful it is. But the other side of the coin is you talk to a lot of times to adults, and they'll talk about how their grandparents influenced them. So you have an important responsibility in this. And then, and then if, if you say, I don't have kids, I don't have a grandparent, I, you know, one of the things I'd encourage you to think about just in daily life, if you're in business, if you're working somewhere, part of managing other people, part of working with someone else is the very same thing. We're going to talk about that. Part of what you do with someone else, if you're in that kind of position, is to get them to a point where you can release them to carry on that skill and to carry on the values of the business or the group that you're a part of. So, as we look at this, I just want to talk about raising children and to release them is to be intentional. It is a process. It can be painful. And again, the final goal is maturity. And we'll talk a moment about that. And if I have time, I'd like to talk a little bit about what it means for us as a church to raise spiritually mature people, to be spiritually mature people. So the first is raising this idea of it needs to be intentional. And, and it's really this idea that it is a choice that you make. It's, it's something you determine to live out at this point. When you're parents, you're, you're making this decision. It will be intentional. Because Jesus did it in his own life. He modeled it when he called his disciples to him. You find early on when he called them, in the very first few days, he goes out in a boat to go fishing. Peter's not real happy about it because they had been fishing all night. They get the nets out there. Peter um, doesn't believe him says go away from me jesus i'm, I'm just a, i'm i don't i'm not worthy to be your follower and he jesus looks at him don't be afraid you've been fishing for fish but you will fish for men here's my intention i've called you i don't expect you to be here yet but at the time when i release you that's what i'm shooting for 
That's my intention. And so then if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see how intentional he is. Because just a few chapters later, which is about six months or so, in in the life of Jesus with his disciples, in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, When Jesus called together the twelve, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. You see, not only was he just teaching them things to know, he actually said, now go do it. Your turn. And they would come back and they'd talk about it. And we see this to be true because he didn't just teach to 12. We just go a few chapters later in chapter 10, verses 1 and 9, and it says that Jesus, we we read here in verse 1 and verse 9, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was to go. And he said, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. So you see this kind of idea. You get this idea that he had 12 and then he had 72. He had, he had over 100 people that he was intentionally seeking to raise up, to release them, to develop and empower, and then release them to do what he's been doing. Not just to know what he's been knowing. One of the problems with the church is we, 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 we are so tied into a Western kind of education where you get this idea that if you just stand and, you, and you're in some lectures or you take some books and you study it, that you now have the ability to do something. It's like saying, you know, I have studied fishing for the last year and a half, but and, and someone asks you, have you ever fished? You go, no. You see... Our culture is about information. We get this idea that to know Jesus means you just get a bunch of information. No, to know Jesus means that you begin to not only know what he knows, but you actually do what he, he does, and you live the way he lives, and you love the way he loves. There's this transformation that takes place spiritually. And we have this idea that if we can be in a classroom, but the way that Jesus would teach, he would actually tell them some truths, they'd hear about it, and then he'd say, now go out and do it. That's one of the things that we can develop and and grow in as a church family. But it's intentional. So raising adults in order to release them means intentionally choosing to live with a consciousness, putting on your mirror, so to speak, this word that the purpose of raising children is to release them. The purpose in my management situation here over this person is to release them. And this doesn't happen, parents, when the kid turns 18. It begins... Today, for those of you who dedicated your children, it begins when you said, God, this child's a gift. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. I'm a parent of this child for the next 18 years to raise and release this child as if you yourself were raising this child. What does that look like? You release the child the moment you really receive them. One wise elderly woman told me years ago, when I was talking to her about my kids, she, you know, I was talking about you know, letting them go someday. She said, you don't let go when your child turns 18 years of age. You begin letting go when they're 18 hours old. Releasing is also a process. So if it's going to be intentional, the intentional aspect of it is that you will think through the process of what does it look like as I raise them. And throughout your years, you take deliberate steps to raise them in ways that you parent them differently or you manage differently. As a parent, you have to be willing to take on different roles throughout the process. Some of this stuff, if you want to think of it in the business world, comes from a guy who his name is Paul Hersey, and, and then Ken Blanchard, and I think Susan Fowler, took in a book called One Minute Manager and made this idea of situational leadership um, a popular idea, where he would talk about in management, in, in what you do in management is you tell, you sell, you then um, you, you take a point where you participate, and then you delegate. And that became a national bestseller. It's been selling for the last 10 or more years. 
being published almost yearly again because it has such helpful principles. It's a small little book. But the reality is situational leadership isn't some new concept. It's something parents should be doing and have been doing for years. It involves being highly directive for a period of time to the point where you become less directive and in some ways less involved in the sense of the day-to-day telling and selling and even participating to the point where you're just delegating or you're looking like it as a spectator. The whole idea is that you begin with the skill, you're very directive in helping that develop that skill, and eventually that skill you let it go and they can do that skill. It also happens with regard to values. You take values and you begin to help them understand a value because they do something out of habit, not a habit. Eventually that habit becomes a value in their heart. So, like, you know, if you take in the church, one of the things that they talk at times about is tithing. People just, you know, don't, I don't even like to talk about it until why would you bring it up? Well, because the whole purpose in the Bible isn't to get money for the church. That's just kind of a byproduct. The purpose in the Word of God is that when you do something like that, eventually out of habit, as you grow in your relationship with God, it's not about what you, you know, about that much you can give. It's about how you can become a generous person in all ways in life. And so one of the ways to learn to do that, if you learn to play the piano, you go through scales. One of the ways you learn how to do that and become generous according to the word of God as you do something like that which is hard to do you get a nose blade thinking of 10% that's high right until you become generous or let's say it as a parent if one of the things you do as a parent you say to your child you at least need to take a bath at least once a week which you kind of wrestle you know and the whole purpose of taking a bath you know the byproduct really is that they they're clean for the next week for at least for the day right But the goal is that as you do that, eventually they'll understand there's a greater value. It's not just about getting clean for a few hours. It's about being a cleanly person. It's about having personal hygiene. That that now, when that child is a teenager, you can't usually get them out of the shower because they're taking showers five or six times a day, if you're a guy, because you want to impress the woman. You know, that kind of thing. So this whole idea of developing that is a process. And I look at it this way, and I'm just going to touch on this. Um, It usually moves what I call from being a director to a coach to a spectator to a consultant in a parenting role. So like zero to seven years of age, you're a director. In fact, I basically say you're a benevolent dictator, right? You have their good in mind and everything you're doing. You will eat those vegetables. And then about 8 to 10 years of age, this varies, you're kind of a player coach. And I just say, if you're a parent at that time, just enjoy it. They make you look great. In fact, around that time, you get get kind of lulled into thinking you're one of the best parents around. Because they're like little parents themselves. And then then you, you move from that player coach thing to about 12 years of age happens. And for guys, there's this hormonal wash going chemically into their brain. And, and they actually say that they, they lose a sense of consequences. Because you, and now at this age from 12, they start learning how to have consequences again in their life in a new way. Because don't you, at times you go, what were you thinking? And so from that age, you're really, you're really just a coach. And you're hoping they're going to make it through. And, and if you're like um, Mark Twain, he would give advice. He said, when a kid turns 13, stick him in a barrel, <laughs> nail the lid shut and feed him through a knot hole and when he turns 16 plug the hole Um, (laughs) from 17 to 25 whether you like it or not you're pretty much a spectator not that you abdicate your parental role and don't at times come in and you're directive at times you coach and at times you hopefully consult but you will end up being a spectator to a lot of their decisions 
And somewhere around 25, if you're lucky, you may become a consultant again. And sometimes earlier, sometimes later. At various points along the way, at different ages, releasing is gradual, and it's an intentional process where you take on different roles, where the whole idea is that you're highly responsible to the point where you're still responsible, but you're not so directive. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Because we love them so much, and we hate to feel pain. So not only is it intentional and is it a process, but it's really painful. Who told you raising children would be so painful? You think it's a big deal when they get a cold. You know, when they first get a cold, I remember the first time our child had a cold, I thought the world was going to end, you know? And then you find out how resilient they are. You could actually drop them and they're okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, They're just so incredibly resilient. And yet, they're still so tender. And, and you begin to realize through this whole process as you kind of directively are giving them advice and, 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 and giving them instruction, eventually you start to coach and kind of watch. And, and it's really important as you get to the coaching thing that you coach, give some direction, and then you stand back and then help them. Because eventually you'll be in a spectator role where you'll watch them make choices. And you can do this, and parents can do this. You can throughout your life, because you want to avoid pain now, Set up a child to the point where when they get to be 18 and they're making choices and you're still going to the police station or you're going doing something else or you're going to the teacher and you're saying give them an A when they didn't deserve it. You, know, you can begin to do what they call that helicopter parenting even through college. It's very painful because you have to choose to let go and at times be wise about what consequences they need to feel and impact them the impact of them so that it can change their character. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 is such an instructive verse because it says to us, um, the message reads, My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. Sometimes God's discipline comes in because he allows something to come into our life. Sometimes his discipline is because we've made choices, and he goes, I'm going to let you experience the consequence of these choices. Not because I'm trying to bring pain in your life, but because I love you and I know sometimes the only way change takes place is if you feel pain. And if you're feeling pain in some area of your life, it's a good thing to ask and to get the side and say, God, what, what are you trying to teach me? Or what is in my character that you need to change? That I need to pay attention to? It's, it's a child he loves that he disciplines. He says the child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. Persevere is his word. He treats you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children, only irresponsible parents have leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed to best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's gonna, going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it, it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in the relationship with God and also in life. Verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So at a certain point, you have to be like the Lord, like our Father, like our God, who allows sometimes a consequence in order character will change. And so here's the choice. You feel less pain now or more pain later. About five years ago, we had a lady who spoke. Her, her name was Allison Botke. 
and I invited her to come and speak. She had written a book called Setting Boundaries with Your Adult Children. Our hope was that we would start some groups, and we did. We started some groups here and also in some other churches as a result of her coming and speaking about setting boundaries with your adult children. One parent wrote these words. Someone who had been involved in the group um, as we were doing this series shared their experience of that a number of years ago. We were beginning to realize that while our intent was to help our adult son get through a rough patch in his life, in truth, we are enabling him to stay stuck. Free room and board plus kindly parental oversight and encouragement, read nagging, were keeping him in a perpetual teenager well into his 20s. With health, intelligence, and every opportunity to succeed, he seemed to prefer to stay where he was at. A lot of effort on our part would get him motivated for a short time and he would stay, kind of slide back into his usual habits of disorganization and make excuses. And then we began to see he wasn't just being stuck in one place, but we were actually seeing that he was actually moving backwards in a slow slide. In a moment of clarity, we looked ahead and were horrified to think where he and we might be in a few years downward as that spiral continued. You may, as a moment, just go, whoa. You may have a moment of clarity and go, you know what? This might be some pain that needs to be felt so that the spiral doesn't continue. So a good friend at that point suggested we take a class offered at the church based on Alison Botke's book. We walked in. It's really true, I think, of how we feel about ourselves. Because our kids, a lot of times, it shouldn't be this, but they're the measure of who we are, right? If they're making bad choices, we're going, boy, this has got to reflect on me. This person wrote, we walked in full of shame that in this community full of successful families with successful children, we were failures. And met other parents, though, who felt the same exact way. What grace it is to be in a group of people here. I just want to share with you right now that you are in a room with a bunch of failures, okay? I mean, I know some of you have been successful in business, but somewhere in your life you failed. We're all a bunch of failures before the cross that gives us grace. So the person says, suddenly we weren't alone anymore. You know what God wants you to do right now? Whatever it may be you're facing, um, he wants you to recognize the fact you're not alone. But you know what, you know what Satan wants you to do? You know what you will do with your own self is you'll feel like I'm the only one. I can't share this with anybody. I just, and, and you know what? Shame loves to live in darkness. It loves to be separated and isolated. And, and it just will kill you. One of the reasons we're a family and we talk about the idea of grace is that we are failures and we invite you in a, in a confidential, respectful way to get into the right circles where you can begin to open up your life because then God can actually get in and do something. Blessed are those who mourn, says Jesus, because why? They will be comforted. But if you're mourning and you're going in and you're alone, no one can comfort you. The class did, the very, the, did some very specific things for us, this person writes. First, it helped us get over the shame and clearly look at what was going on. Second, it helped us pinpoint several areas where my spouse and I needed to get on the same page. Third, we became very aware of the patterns that our son was repeating and where they would eventually lead. And fourth, we learned some clear, practical, progressive steps towards launching our unwilling fledgling into full adulthood. 
You know, nature does this better than we do. I was down in Florida one time, and I was at this, uh, down by the beach, and this, we would go on vacation down there often. My parents had a place down there, and we were, we were there, and, and there were a bunch of little, these little raccoons all over the place. And I asked the person in the area, I said, what are these little raccoons all over here? And he goes, well, the mom kicked them out, and they're going to have to find their own territory. And we all see the pictures of the bird going, okay, you're going to fly. Um, well, that's where this was at. And the class was faith-based. They said it had a clear Christian perspective. Members agreed to keep what was said in the group confidential. And we supported each other, challenged each other. Once We would report each week on the steps we'd taken and what had happened at home. And we created a plan for a family. In the end, we told our son it was time for him to leave home. This was so hard. Given his situation, we knew there was a real risk that he might be on the streets within a year. But if we let him go on the way he was going, we realized there was something even greater at stake, the risk that he would waste his life. Now it's years later and our son is doing well. He's got a good job, he's finishing school, he's getting married to a wonderful young woman, and he can date his turnaround to the year that he left home for good. Suddenly he realized that it was really his life to live and decided to live it. Thank God, and we thank the Lord for the leader, for Alison Bakke, for this church and this group. Now, not all stories end that way. I'll just be really honest, not all of them do. But I can tell you, putting off the pain, so as a parent, it's really important when we talk about it, there are painful little steps you need to take, and sometimes as you get closer to that age and you find that maybe there's some responsibility that needs to be taken, those steps might be just much more painful. But I invite you to bring other people into the process. It's a helpful thing, like this person has said. And we would love to help, even as a church, to work through getting that to happen if you're in a situation like that. And releasing is primarily about maturity. The goal is to raise adults who are fully functioning and responsible, able and productive, loving and mature, and as we as a church say, godly followers of Jesus. If maturity is your goal, so if if you put on your mirror the idea of raising children is to release them, you can actually think about maturity in some definable ways. You can actually list some values you want to see in your child. You can actually say, here are some skills that I'd like to pass on to my child. And you can say, by the time they get to be 18, here are some things I would hope they would know. It isn't some kind of random thing. And I'd ask you to think about it, even if you're raising kids, you know, where are they at their level of competency? If you're in a managerial position at work, you often probably have to do this. If you're not, you should, in the sense of where are they at their competencies and what do they need to move towards to grow in? And how do we come alongside and make that happen? Because there are some core competencies, there are some basic things that need to be known in order to fulfill the responsibilities of what it means to be a released adult in this situation. And that's no different for the way it is with children. There are some things that I wish that I would have known. I wish there were some things that my parents might have done. And it's not about blaming. It's just recognizing those things and and, and not being defensive about it. Go, boy, here's an area that I need to grow in my life. And I've been very vocal about one of the areas that I'm really seeking to grow in is to just grow in joy and to grow in a sense of gratefulness and thankfulness. 
You know, there's just, you just got to say, where's an area you say, I'm going to work on growing on this. Maybe you need to do this in your own life. But Because here's the real important thing about this. You can set skills, and skills you can teach, even if, though you may not know them as well. But you can teach some skills, and they go beyond you. But values are things that are not usually taught. They're just caught. So in some ways, before you even set that list, or maybe as you make that list, you begin to evaluate yourself and say, where am I on this list? Am I any further? Because you can't, as it says in Scripture, you, you, a teacher can't take the person, the student, any farther than they, the teacher themselves, have gone. So you can actually put some things down, like intellectually. And our, our government helps us a lot with this because we've got to bring them to school, right? They learn some educational things. So hopefully, by the time they get to be seniors, there are some things they have learned academically. But there's a whole bunch of other areas. There's emotional Kind of emotional health. What does it mean to have what is good called emotional intelligence or EQ? That, that's, I mean, if you want to just to take a list, I grabbed this um, as I was walking by, and, and one of the things you might want to even just use, we could use it as a church family. We could make this a, a goal for us. Those 10 things at Tim Addington, we have this consultant in who's helping us as a church to grow and to move through some things where we've been stuck. We're really excited about what God's doing through this. And you could just take these 10 things and say, I'm going to begin to measure myself and live by this. These are 10 great things to teach kids. Do you do it in your own family? You can actually not just talk about emotionally, but financially. Where are you in the, in the sense of helping your, your children understand generosity? What does it mean for them to understand how to handle finances? What does it mean for them to have a budget? What does it look like? Relationally. Conflict resolution, communication skills, spiritually. What does it mean for your child? You may have, you may be saying, well, the school's taking care of my academic stuff, the church is taking care of my spiritual stuff, I bring them to, that's, we assist in that, but you're the one who really leads them in this. What does it mean for you to have a quiet time? What does it mean for you to, to know God's word? What does it mean for you to become more loving and to become more, um, um, joyful and more peaceful and more patient and more kind and, and all these fruits that the spirit develop in us? You, you, can, you can make another category of physical. What do you want that, that child at 18 to be? Like, what, what kind of eating habits would you like for your child to have? Good luck on that one. Anyway, um, what kind of exercise habits? What kind of hygiene? You see, what your goal is, the purpose of raising children is to release them. And you can actually put up some categories and say, here's some areas I'd like to see some core competencies and maturity. That's what is the goal of this church family as well. Our, our, our mission is to help all people take their next step to know, to know Jesus, to have fresh encounters, not just a, a one-time, oh, I remember 30 years ago, and, and not just a one-time experience, but to be in a fresh encounter with the living God who we can walk with, that we can know, and we can grow in intimacy, and we can grow in our understanding and knowledge of what it means to walk with a real person. God is a real person. And then our desire is to teach people to follow, that they might be able to follow Jesus. They might know very simply, like children, the commands of God, because all the commands are, are in this book are for our good. They're not meant, in a sense, to be like a fence that keeps us boundaried in, as much as they're to be meant to be lived out in such a way that they provide life. So that as you begin to know God, you begin to, you know that you have the Holy Spirit, and with the Word of God, and with the Spirit of God, you begin to be led by God, and it's the most exciting thing. I remember when Mike Wiskus was up here a few weeks back, and he was sharing, you know, this, this stunt pilot, and he was talking about for how many years he had lived and he'd known God, but now it's like he's got this relationship that has changed, and he wished it would only have been sooner, but he's glad he's got it now. 
And I, I, just, I just appeal to you, if you're in that kind of situation where, where you're just going to church and it's about religion, it's about showing up in order that you do your deed, I tell you, you're missing it all. You're missing, that's not what it means to be a spiritually responsible and transformed person. And then to become like Jesus, that's our, 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 is to help all people to know, to follow, and become like Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we will be the kind of people that make the chief commandment of our heart is what Jesus said it was, is to love God and to love others. And we will be the kind of people, hopefully, that we will say five years from now, you can look at your life and ask someone, are you less angry than you were five years ago? Is there more joy in your life than there was five years ago? As you talk about trust and you sing about trust, do you find more peace filling your heart than it used to be? When you talk about trust, are you still trying to manipulate to get your ends met, to get what you think you need, or are you trusting God to provide what you need? And if you look at someone and they say, you know what, you know, five years ago, I can't believe you've grown in humility. And you say, what does that look like? Folks, if that's not happening, I, why do we do this? We are calling people as a body to spiritual responsibility. You know what? I am not going to stand up before God someday because all of us will look God in the eyes and, and he will judge us for our lives. And he will not look at me and go, Kevin, how'd you, how, um, you, how did grace do? He's going to look at me and go, Kevin, it's about your life. It's about a silly, you know, we sometimes live our spiritual life in a very silly way. I, I, you know, kind of like, I'd really like to get healthy and I'd really like to be physically in shape so would you run five miles a day for me we laugh at that but we advocate our spiritual growth to the church and to other things we actually changed our ministry from children's ministry and and youth ministry to family ministry because one of the things we wanted to do is to say our job is to assist families whether they're single parents dual parents, grandparents, uncle, I don't care. We're to assist these families whose responsibility it is from 0 to 18 to raise these children in a godly way. We'll come alongside, but we're not going to stand before God for those kids. I, you know, I, I just kind of close on this, this idea of being spiritually transformed. I, I will say this from time. It's, it's not enough to be biblically informed and to be religiously conformed so that you're getting a lot of information of the Bible, and, and then you have a lot of activities that you're doing, or you're beginning to kind of look like you're a Christian, doesn't transform into your spirit being transformed. Right? Spiritual responsibility, then, in this sense, as I look at it this way, is it means that you will take responsibility for your own growth. Here's a simple illustration I want you to think about. If my daughter came home, you know, when she was young, I would actually... Um, feed her with a spoon and do these little train and plain things, you know, and you'd take that yellow mustardy looking stuff and you'd somehow con her into taking it and putting it in her mouth. But if she comes home in her 20s and I got to take a spoon with some green vegetables on it and go, and do that, something is wrong. I sometimes hear, and there's, there's, I'm not going to say there's not some truth to this, but I sometimes hear a very common thing was, well, I'm not getting fed. My pastor's not feeding me. Baloney. I mean, yes, you should be challenged, you should be growing, but baloney. You have a Bible, you have tools, you are to be self-feeders. 
And when we grow in spiritual maturity, we move to a place where we are a part of a family that is about something far greater than about ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and with that, I'm going to pray. And with you parents, how exciting. Thank you for sharing your children with us this morning. We pray blessing on you guys. Father, we thank you that this is a place where you are calling us to spiritual responsibility. You are developing within us patterns of maturity. Not for our sake, but because they bring glory to you. And in bring glory to you, people look to you who want to know you. And as a result of that, people say, I want to be a part of the family of God. That's our deep prayer, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.